0: You are able, if you could join me in standing out of respect for God's word, Um, just as we stand when a judge enters a courtroom or when you stand when a bride enters a wedding venue, we stand because we believe that God's word is both beautiful and authoritative. So the word this morning comes from 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. It is true, and it's given out of his love. You may be seated. Uh, this morning I have the privilege of introducing our guest speaker. Speaker, our guest preacher, Joey Parsons, is coming to us from the Town Church in Greeley, where he serves as the lead pastor. He and his wife Fran have been in the Greeley, Northern Colorado area, Longmont, Loveland area for about twenty years now. Prior to that, uh, they did some missions work in Ukraine. Uh, so there's a good reminder to be praying for the Church of Ukraine with all that's going on over there. That God would would use His bride in Ukraine to to reach many of those people who are suffering in some profound ways right now. Uh, but but Joey has. Has been a, a church planter and a pastor for a number of years, and uh, he is coming to us this morning to, to preach uh, uh, from the book of Titus. And so our church has partnered with uh, the town church in Greeley for about six years now. We've supported them financially. And so when you give uh, your tithes and offerings to the church, we take 15% of everything that comes in, and we give that to fund the mission of God outside of our walls. It's one of those ways that we can become more uh, kingdom-oriented and, and focus on being kingdom-multiplying and give of ourselves for the glory of Jesus beyond our local church setting. And so it's just a a huge privilege to have Joey down with us this morning, uh, bringing the word for us and and, uh, preaching out of Titus. So if you'd join me in welcoming Joey Parsons this morning. Thanks.
1: Did I turn that? Yes, I did. Good, good, good. Hey, it is really good to be with you guys. Um, Do you like tables? Do y'all like this? Yeah, I love this. I so wish we could do this. We're currently in a building that's ah, it's probably about a hundred years old, and it's got pews. Does anybody know what pews are? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would take the tables any day. It is really good. It is really good to be with you guys. I've heard a little bit about you. I've only been in Greeley. We moved to Greeley a year ago. Um, I won't give you all the details about how we got there, but it's uh, it's been it's been quite a journey, and it's been good to connect with some others in this whole Acts 29 network thing. I'm actually a pastor in another denomination, but helping out with uh, with an Acts 29 church that you guys have been a part of for, for quite a while. So thank you for your love and your care for us up in the north. We really, really do appreciate it. So I'm going to um, invite you to open up to Titus chapter 3, this is where we've been, so you're going to get a sermon that we did pretty recently. We just finished up uh, in Titus. So Titus is a book that was written by, it's a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to his good friend Titus. He's in um, Crete and he is planting churches. He's going around and he's trying to get churches established. So we're going to just do, I, I probably should, I get two hours to preach, right? Is that right? Oh, you did not think that was funny at all. I'm not preaching for two hours. Somebody's a guest here, and they're like, oh my gosh, how do I get out of here the quickest? Uh, no, I'm only going to do two hours, just an hour and a half or so. That, that should be fine. No, we're going to look at Titus. It'd be great to do a whole overview of the book, but I'm not going to. We're just going to get into chapter three, these first few verses, one through the beginning of five. So... Um, I'm going to invite you as we go through this to keep the text in front of you if you have it on your phone or if you have a physical Bible. Keep it in front of you because we're going to refer to it a lot and see what God has to say to us this morning from his word. So I'm going to read again scripture from Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy. Father, we want to hear these words that were penned so very long ago by your uh, your apostle, who was inspired by your spirit. And that spirit is just as living and active in our presence right now. And I ask, wherever we may be in life, that you would come and meet us in this place and meet us in our place. And maybe some of us have been uh, followers of Jesus for years, and we just need some reminders of your goodness and your grace, but maybe there's some really hard things going on that we need to have your comfort and a reminder of of what it looks like to sit under a gracious God. And maybe some are here, and they don't know what they think about the whole Jesus story. So, Lord, let them, um, let them be able to be honest about that and open their hearts to be able to see Jesus for who he is. So Jesus, please make yourself known, we ask in, in your name. Amen. So, uh, if you do sports or you do music, is anybody a sports person? I'm just going to do this. This is stupid, I know, but get some a little engagement. How about music? Anybody a music person? Do you, do you enjoy drills? Do you like doing drills? Some people really like enjoy doing drills. Okay, why do you do drills? Someone, tell me, why do you do Drills. What's the purpose of it? Yes, sir, please. To practice and get better. To practice and get better. Does it work? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of does work. Kind of does work. Okay, we may or may not like drills, but we do drills because we want to practice and get better. And also, what are we doing when we do a drill? You do it a hundred times. You feel the ground ball a hundred times. You are creating muscle memory, right? And you're also constantly reminding yourself about how to do it. It's a constant... Drills are about a reminder to us. So there's a little book that my wife's been trying to get me to read, and I'm only a few pages in, Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harris Warner. She says this, most of our days, and therefore most of our lives, are driven by habit and routine. Our way of being in the world works its way into us through ritual and repetition. We are shaped every day, whether we know it or not, by practices, rituals, and liturgies that make us who we are. What are the liturgies? Liturgies, routines of our life. Well, part of what we do, part of what you all are doing when you gather together is remembering. Our liturgy is about remembering and then reminding one another of what is, what is true and what is beautiful and what is, what is good. So you get to the end of Titus chapter 2. And Paul says this, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let nobody disregard you. And then he flows right into chapter 3 and he says, remind them, remind them. So Titus is about, the whole book is about how to live in grace community. The whole book is about this. So as we come into this, this is what I want to look at. Grace communities constantly remember. Grace communities, and I would say that's what the community of Jesus is. A a church is supposed to be a grace community. Grace communities constantly remember. Remembering is something that this book, the Bible, has been telling us from the very beginning to keep doing. We have passages like this. So this is in the old part. Of the Bible in the book of Deuteronomy, early on, this this section that's called the Shema says, This, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by your way and when you sit down, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is what we've been told from the very, very beginning. We're very forgetful people. The older I get, the more forgetful I realize that I actually am. We need to constantly remind and be reminded. So much of what we do and so much of what we need from each other in community and in worship is this form of remembrance. You might call it even meditation, how you're thinking on the things that we need to remember, not in a sense of living in the past, but of bringing what is true and good into our present moment and our situations. We need this. I have had... I am not going to tell you the details of it, but quite a week this week. And I have needed some deep reminders of what is true. And I fortunately, though I was, uh, felt like I on an island for a, quite a bit of the week, I had a group of guys, five guys, we got together a few nights ago, and they reminded me what is true, and it was breathing life into my soul. You might say, in a sense, saving me. If we uh, look at this as we move forward, I want to consider what it is we're supposed to be remembering. And this is for the Paul is writing to Titus, who's doing this church thing. He's talking to people who have experienced the grace of God, who begin to follow Jesus. And he's telling him, he's telling them, He's telling Titus, hey, you need to remind these people who are followers of Jesus of some certain things. If that is you, then this is applicable for you. If you're not, if you're just checking out the whole Jesus thing, these are the kind of things you get to remember. These are the kind of things that you want to hear and that you need to hear. What are those? There's there's three things. Who we are, who we were, and who he is. Three areas. Is it up on the screen behind me? Do I have it? Did I send those? I may not have even send them, sorry. Who we are. So who we are for the world, who we were in the world, and who he is that makes us new and different. So I want to just go through this as Paul goes through it. So Paul lists seven things. It's in verses 1 and 2. Check this out. He, he reminds them of these seven things. You can, you can look at them again. We're going to walk through them in just a second. These are all descriptions of who we are, who we are to be. To be, how we are to live, how we are to be in this world, and for the sake of the world. These are things he's saying, this is who you are to be for the sake of the world. But Paul's Paul's been given all kind of characteristics for who we are as grace people throughout the whole letter. And much of it was an emphasis on how we're supposed to live as community. What those characteristics look like for us to be together. That is certainly applicable here. But his focus seems to be moving a a little bit more towards how we are to be in the world how we are to be for the world, as he's getting into chapter 3. So who are we? Well, let's look at it. He says, we are to be marked by submission to rulers and authorities, and to be obedient. Okay, we love that one, right? Submission. We love the idea of submission, don't we? Of course we do. Not. all right. so certainly, not all laws, I just want to get right into it, certainly not all laws, all governments and social structures of Paul's day were good and just, Paul wasn't saying, oh, because all things, all laws are good, you must submit. That's not what he says. Paul knew that things were not always good and right with the social structure and the governments. But he still says we're to be submissive and we're, he still says we're supposed to be obedient. What does this mean? Well, I think it means our freedom in Christ frees us to submit and to obey laws that we don't like. I... uh, so the street that's close to my street, it's got little, it should be 55 miles an hour speed limit, and much of it's like 30 and 35. I don't like that. <laughs> it should be other, otherwise. I know some people really think seatbelt, and I'm not getting into it, seatbelt laws, they're, they're bad. Uh, okay? That's your issue. We won't, go, we won't go there right now. There are certain laws that you may or may not like, but a new identity and submission to Christ actually frees you and frees me to obey and submit to laws of the land, even when we don't like them. Submission to Christ actually frees us to obey things that we don't always like. And then, because you've got to address this, there, there are things that you may truly believe stand in opposition to a healthy society or to the character of God. And therefore, you may make a choice to disobey. We're still to do so with submission. Okay, meaning What? Humbly accept the consequences if that is what you truly believe is the right thing to do. We have examples of this in Scripture, stories of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach, right? They were, they were told to do something, bow down to a God that is not Yahweh, the true God, and they said, respectfully, we, we must disobey. Now, in their case, they got delivered, but you're not guaranteed that. So, so if there is something that you feel like you must stand against, man, their respectful approach, their civil disobedience was done while counting the cost. So it's got to be with us. I'll let you pick up with that another time, okay? Okay. I'm going to keep going. He goes on, rather than being marked by disobedience and disrespectful to those in authority, constantly fighting for our personal preferences, he goes on in verse 1 to say we are to be ready for every good work. We are to be on the lookout for where we can do good for others, even those who are in authority. Are we on the lookout for how we can do good to others, even those we may disagree with? Even those that are in authority that we may disagree with. How are we on the lookout for that? And then he moves on from, uh, to, to more from this general submission and works of goodness in society to more of an interpersonal relationship. So he, this is in verse 2. He says, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. We are to work and to speak for the good of others, even those who may consider us their enemies. This involves avoiding fights. And not avoiding fights because you're a coward, right? There's ways to avoid fights just because you're, you're afraid. But this isn't what he's talking about. This is not what he means by this. It's not that we're afraid of the fight, but we avoid it because we're seeking to care more for people than win our way. And when disagreements do arise, and maybe you do have to get into fight one way or the other, how are we to handle them? Well, Paul tells us, with gentleness and courtesy toward all people. Not just the people that you kind of like, he says, towards all people. This is who we are to be as Jesus' community. We are to be for the good of others, we are to be for the good of the world, and not just toward our friendly neighbors who like and agree with us, but those who may view us as their political, social, and religious enemies. And we are to be this because it's actually a new identity, it's actually, we're not just supposed to put this on, this is supposed to be who we are, and who we are becoming. So I'll throw this out there to you. This isn't one of the questions that will be up on the screen, but you can later on, but you can think about this. Is this what the world experiences from us? That we are genuinely for their good. Not necessarily for everything that everyone believes and everything that everyone does, but do people who maybe you do disagree with, do they know that you are for them? And even at times, do they know that you're for them at your own expense? So, moving into this second one, who we are, who we were, he then contrasts this way of being with, starting at verse 3, who we ourselves once were, if we are now followers of Jesus. So, this is who you are, you are. now he gets into who we once were, and he does a seven, thing, seven things in each list. So you can go back and kind of contrast and compare those. He gives seven things of who we are and then seven things of who we once were. Why does he bring up what we once were? I mean, isn't that, isn't that the past, the old identity, something we should move past and forget? Well, that is a very fair question. and There's aspects of, of truth to that. But there's something about remembering it that's important. For starters, I'm sure they, who Paul is writing to, were like us. Not always living out of their new identity, but falling back into what they formerly were. I'm sure they were doing that. Because I do that. I'm assuming they weren't that much different. Well, why then Why then does he say, say it like it's a thing of the past? Like if it's something that we keep struggling with, why, why talk about it as if it's a thing of the past? Well, th- this is... This is who we were before grace appeared, before grace captivated us, and when I forget this grace, this old thing starts to show its ugly face again. Grace is the thing that's going to make you different, and sometimes when I forget grace, that old stuff starts to surface, so I think he says, we need to remember this, remember this, what is this old man? Well, he is foolish, and he's, sorry, am I doing something wrong with this? Should I? Okay. I can move it down a little bit. Move it up more? Okay. Sorry, that's just to keep you awake. Now you probably can't even, can you hear me? I can be really loud so we can get rid of the mic altogether. So this is what he says. Who who were we? He, He is foolish. He's disobedient. He's led astray. A slave to various passions and pleasures, passing the days in malice and envy, hated by others and hateful towards others. This is what what? I want to be freed from. And this is what we can be freed from. This is what we are being freed from. When we live this way, we're not living out our new identity. So when, these things, when we start seeing these things in our life and we claim to be a follower of Jesus, we're not actually living in our new identity. So what, what is this? We all, do we all have split personalities? Yes! I don't know what else to say. I mean, maybe that's not the best way to say it, but I don't know what else to say. So if you have, if, if you were a, a child, maybe raised in an orphanage, and let's say that orphanage did not treat you well, so you had to kind of hoard for yourself. You had to protect the things that you possess, but you're adopted early on into a family. They give you their name. They give you a room. They give you food. They give you love. They give you absolute security. It's absolutely secure. There's no question about who you now are. But all of a sudden, that child starts protecting his toys. He starts fighting against the other kids. And he starts hoarding food. And he doesn't want to sleep in his bedroom. He wants to sleep under the stairs. What is he, what is he doing? He has a new identity. He has a new identity. Is that understandable that that would happen? Absolutely. It's absolutely understandable that he's living in that old identity because that old identity has to get weeded out of you over time. But what is actually true about his identity? Does he need to hoard? He doesn't need to hoard. His identity is secure, he is loved, he has a new name. I think for us, we can so often live as if we are still orphans. And in Christ, you were adopted into a family who will never leave you or forsake you. So knowing that, why does Paul bring this up as something to remember? Why remind them of who they were? Like, if we want to forget it, why why remember it? Uh, For me, this is extraordinarily helpful and practical. And I think as community we gotta keep remembering. Why? Well, here are some here are four thoughts. Consider. One, we gotta honestly face the present struggles. When we see these old ways in us, we don't want to just justify them and sweep them under the rug like it's no big deal, because these old ways, they actually are a big deal. We need to own it. We need to remember. This old way is not just harmful to us, it brings harm and hate to the world around us. And we need to identify it when we're living this out. It's hurtful to us and it's hurtful to the world around us. Secondly, the reminder it keeps us humble. We're no better than anybody else that we are tempted to judge. When we see this in other people, we need to remember that's who we were and that's what comes out of us still. It keeps us humble. Thirdly, I think it helps us relate to others. The reminder helps us not be so far removed from others who have not encountered grace, who haven't experienced that new life. Keeping this memory close is it's not to make us depressed. This isn't to beat yourself up. It's to make you accessible, relatable, not holier than thou. And then fourthly, ultimately, the reminder of who we are without him fosters great gratitude for what God has done and is doing and what he will do. Remembering. So coming all out of all of this, from where does this change of identity come? Paul continues in verse 4, he says, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. What or who makes us different? What brings us out of the old into this new way of life? What brings us into this new identity? According to what Paul says, it's God. But specifically, it's the goodness and loving kindness of God. And this God has appeared to save us. We're, okay, appeared in what way? Well, where does he appear? What has Paul been talking about in the whole letter that you all haven't just read? But what's he been talking about? He's been talking about the appearing of Jesus? Jesus is the goodness and loving kindness of God to save. He came. He appeared. For for what purpose? Well, to be that perfect man. He he came to, to be the one that Paul is describing. All these good characteristics of the new identity, he actually is all of those things perfectly. He also came to face the old man. He didn't, he didn't sweep the old man under the rug. He didn't just wipe the old man away. He came to face the old man and then to deliver us out of this body of death, which he calls it someplace else. The, the dying humanity. He came to save and to rescue into a new and a truer one. What does this mean about him? What does this mean about him and what does it mean for us? God knows all of your old man stuff. He knows it to the deepest, darkest parts of your soul, all the foolishness and disobedience and wandering and slavery to passions and and pleasures and living in malice and, and envy and being hated by others or hating others. And yet knowing this, knowing this, knowing this perfectly, Jesus still came. He still entered into this existence and this world. He could not just stand back and ignore what we call sin. He couldn't just stand back and ignore the harm that we bring into the world, nor could he let it last forever. And at the same time, no degree of sin, no degree of disobedience, no degree of wandering from him can ever be too far that his goodness and his kindness cannot reach. One of the old prophets, Isaiah, said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, and it's not so short that it cannot save or his ear so dull that it cannot hear. Jesus is not shocked by our foolishness that we are hated by others. He's not shocked when someone hates you, nor is he actually, sh- he's not shocked when you are hateful to others. He knows what one old TV show called The Dark Passenger. He knows that better than we know it ourselves. And with the knowledge of who we are and who we were, with the monsters that can, can be, he willingly ap- appeared. He came, he came to us to live with us in this state, to love us in this state, while knowing the suffering that he would in- experience, the suffering that we would inflict He knew what he's stepping into. How how open are you to willingly walk into situations to love people that you are quite certain are going to reject you? How willing are you? I'm not. I'm not. I do it, but I usually do it not knowing it's going to happen. Knowing that he would face this, he still came. He came to rescue ...from the old deadly and dying humanity. He did choose to step into what he stepped into. How did he do this? Not by, not by taking the sword. He didn't come to slay. He didn't come to bring another flood to wipe us off the face of the earth. But instead he came, he came to receive the sword. He came to be drowned in the flood of human corruption and God's judgment... He came to do that. And his death was the way of fighting the old humanity. I've been wrestling with this the last few years. His death was a way of winning. So it's just some weird Christian thing to try to justify what happened to Jesus. It's... It's actually not. I think I'm growing to realize his death was actually a way of winning. How is it a way of winning? Because he defeated the old man by responding to our hate and our rejection with goodness and loving kindness. That was the win. It could not corrupt him. Seeing that he loves you enough to suffer for you and at your own hand, this has a way of getting below the skin, the surface of our mere moral failings, to our rebellion and our insecurity, to the heart of our very problem, to the heart of our sickness, and to inject us with love. And the sacrifice of love, it didn't end in death. It was transformed through death, giving birth to new life. This is what we call his resurrection. His resurrection was real and historic, and his resurrection is the indicator and the guarantee of the new life that he can bring to us. A new life he embodied out of the tomb is the new life that he wants to give to us, that that he gifts to us. And that happens through repentance and belief in him. What do you do? What do you, it's not by works. It's by his mercy that he gives to us. Jesus is the one who saves. He makes the ultimate transition possible from death into life. Identification with him. Being baptized into him. Being washed by him and coming into him is how the old man dies and the new man is born in us. This is how it happens Grace community continually remembers this. It continually remembers who we are, who we were. But man, most importantly, what are we doing? What are we doing? What do we need to remember? Who he is, who he is that brings about this transformation. Father, I pray that you would take these words, the words uh, that you had penned so long ago, the words that we're talking through right now. Forgive, please, the foolishness of the messenger and allow the message to be ex- to point to our magnificent and beautiful king who makes all things new. And he does that through his own life and death and suffering and resurrection, that he comes back to us and he wants to pour by his spirit that very life onto us. So please, spirit, work in us right now, even as we're having conversations moving forward. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the beauty of you sitting at tables, apparently, is you get to have conversation. And there's a few questions that I believe are going to be above me. Is that correct? Okay. A few questions. So, if, you are, if you're a guest you're visiting or you're not even sure about the whole Jesus thing, please understand, this is not a time that you have to strip yourself naked and tell everybody all your deepest, darkest secrets. You certainly may. But that is not what you have to do. This is a place, we want this to be a safe place for you to process. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we want this to be a safe place for you too. So interact with each other. My encouragement is respectfully, listen well to each other. And if you're a follower of Christ, be praying that the Spirit will do a work among you. And use this time however God wants to use it. And hopefully those questions are up here.
0: All right, I hope, you, hope your discussions went well. Um, just I'm piggybacking off what Joey said. I, I do love this aspect of our church. I think it is something unique that uh, God has blessed us with and the fruit of it, the, uh, the, the weeks upon weeks, building up uh, week after week of, of processing God's word together, of being honest and vulnerable at our tables together. God, God uses those words, those comments you make at your table, and he sows those into each other's hearts as seed that produces gospel fruit. So thank you for being a church that discusses so openly and honestly where we're at and and thank you Joey for coming down to to preach for us that was an awesome message a good reminder uh, for all of us of what the gospel is of, of, of who we are who we were and who Jesus is it's such a great way to look at and to get some handles for what we're talking about. So, so what we do here at Missio every week is that we want to end our morning together by responding to what God has shown us in worship. And so we can respond and worship in several ways. We can do it through singing. We're going to do two more songs here in a second. We can do it through the giving of our tithes and offerings. That's why we have our offering box back there. It's a way of responding to what God has given to us. Uh, we can respond through prayer. If you want prayer for anything, I'll be in that back corner during these last two songs. I would love to pray with you and for you. Uh, we also do it by, uh, we respond in worship through taking communion together. And, and sometimes when there's a, there's a sermon that is not very clear on the gospel, it's a hard pivot from what was just preached to what communion is about. And this morning is, is such an awesome example of that not being the case at all. It's such a clear gospel presentation that Joey did for us that shows us why we need to come to the communion table. So, so we, we have uh, open communion here. If you are a follower of Christ, we would encourage you, we would want you to come to the table and partake of the elements. We have a table up here in the front and then two over on those sides of the walls over there. But the reason why Communion is so important is because of exactly what Joey was talking about this morning. This idea of we are a community who needs to constantly remember who we are, who we were, and who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so communion is one of these amazing uh, uh, sacraments, these liturgies, this uh, uh, habit we can do week in and week out that God has given us as a way of nourishing our souls and teaching us the importance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I love how he phrased that, Joey did. Remember, or rit- liturgy or being reminded, is not living in the past, but bringing the past into your present experience. And so, so when you partake of the bread that reminds you of Jesus' broken body, when you partake of the juice that reminds you of Jesus' shed blood, that past experience 2,000 years ago, when Jesus paid the penalty once and all for your sins and mine and anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, that past experience becomes into your present reality. You, you are renewed and reminded afresh of who you are and who Jesus is and what he has done. So that's why I would encourage you, if you are a follower of Christ, to come to the table during these next few songs. I'm going to read this passage from 1 Corinthians where Paul, the same author of Titus, uh, says, he tells us this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me another way of saying, be reminded of me when you do this. It says, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Be reminded of me when you drink the cup. Then he ends by saying, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a habitual reminding that we will take every week until Jesus returns, at which point there'll be no more need to be reminded of who we were before Christ because we will be with Jesus. And all of those struggles that we all have that we're confessing as we partake of these elements, those struggles will be a thing in the past and we will only have the glorious presence of Jesus for all of eternity. So if you would join me in standing, I'm gonna pray for us and then we will partake of the elements and worship Jesus.
1: Heavenly Father, I thank you
0: for this morning. I thank you for the fact that when we gather, uh, that you are here with us, uh, that when we remind one another of your gospel, that you use those words to strengthen us by the power of your Spirit. I pray that as we sing your praises, as we uh, glory in your goodness, I pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen our souls, that, that our being reminded of who you are and what you have done for us would empower us to go love the world the way that you have called us to. So receive our praise now as an act of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.